Hello. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew 13 um, and what it looks like to be fruitful. Some of you might have seen some of um, Rachel Reynolds' most uh, recent beautiful art and pattern work um, that has different fruits um, and fruit trees. And when I first saw them, not only was I captivated um, by the beauty and charm of the paintings um, and the colours and the patterns, but also what they represented. For me, um, prophetically, they captured something that God has been speaking to me about. And this in itself is a little glimpse of what fruitfulness is about. It's about replication and reproducing. Um, It's also about so much more than that. Fruit is colourful and it's weird and wonderful um, and it's sweet and it's good to eat. Um, It's eagerly awaited and enjoyed in its abundance and its indulgence, as well as its purpose. It is such a revealer um, of the one who created it, who imagined it and who spoke it into being. The definition of a fruit, as Flora reminded us the other week, um, is that it contains seed, which is where Matthew 13 starts. Actually, I say that's where it starts um, with the parable of the sower, but it actually starts with a little throwaway sentence following on from the last chapter. That same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. Matthew actually doesn't make little throwaway comments, so we pay attention to the lead-in. This is a transition moment, that same day, which makes us consider what happens earlier in the day. Jesus has just had a run in um, with the religious leaders. His operating in the spirit rather than um, in the rules has begun to offend them. And whilst he is living from a different source, um, the religious leaders start reinterpreting and slandering the source of his healing and power over demons. Up till now, Jesus has been traveling and teaching and he's been going to the synagogues, his father's house and to houses, people's houses. But now he leaves the house and the crowds that follow him to listen um, become not just a crowd, but actually multitudes. This is the context that Jesus starts telling the parable of the sower. um, And the context is transition and not dissimilar to the moment that we are now in. You'll have heard probably through lockdown and you might even have used the same phrase yourself. um, The church has left the building, but it is very much alive. This isn't a comment on um, how we gather or whether we're um, gathering together in the house or not. But this um, just as this is a moment of transition in Jesus's ministry, this now moment is a transition in the church's history. And we are reawakening to the exciting beyond the scope of our imagination call to build the kingdom and to live under the rule and reign of the king. As Jesus leaves the house and goes to the people, this is what his focus is on. In this one chapter in Matthew um, 13, he tells us eight different statements more than any other chapter um, about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted seed, fruitless, fruitfulness, abundant return and multiplication, like a mustard seed, tiny and planted, um, but that grows impossibly huge. It's like yeast, small and unseen culture, but that transforms and affects everything. Treasure buried in a field, hidden beneath 
but worth selling everything for. The pearl of dreams, again, worth selling all the other pearls for. A net that catches fish of every kind, a storehouse of ancient and new gems, truth that always has been, but also is still pricelessly relevant. And today I want to focus on that first section, the parable of the sower um, scattering seed, which is probably really familiar for most of you. And I'm just going to give you a quick reminder before we then delve a little bit deeper. So we've got a farmer scattering seed in the soil. When I was younger and I read this passage, I used to um, hear it literally. So some of the seed went on the path, some went in thorny areas, some went in the rocky areas, and some he actually got on target and hit the good soil. But actually, this parable is all about sowing in the field that was intended to yield a crop. Cultivating crops in Jesus's day and still too in hot countries um, where the soil would be um, dry um, and difficult to um, uh, cultivate um, required a different method. So generally they would wait for the rains, which would slightly soften the soil. They would scatter the seed and then the crucially different crucially different bit they would plow the seed into the soil it's different because all of the soil has a chance to receive the seed but it's the seed that reveals the state of the soil and Jesus highlights what the four different states and we're just going to have a quick look as a reminder Number one, we have the parts where um, the soil is compacted and the rain's not sunk in and softened or it's not opened up with the plough. You could think of this as some of the circumstances in life um, that we all face that means life does not run smooth. Do you defence up and carry on or do you open up and receive? Um, perhaps it's like um, patterns like walking over the soil, the same uh, way of walking over and over again. But it means that the seed, um, that message of the kingdom sits on top of the soil. It's not worked through and it's easy pickings. Um, the birds, Jesus compares them here to being like the evil one. Um, come and eat up the seed. Um, they steal it away. Number two, there are rocky bits and um, there's rocks in the, in the soil, meaning that um, the tiny seeds fall over the rock um, and they can't put their roots down deep. So in the heat of the day, they have no sustenance and they wither and they die. What you see above the ground won't last if it's not um, if there's not the same anchor and network below the ground. We need a constant supply. Ephesians 3.14 um, says, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvellous love so that you can feel and understand, as all God's children should, how wide and long and high and deep his love really is. Then there are the thorns that have grown up alongside the tender plants. Here, um, Jesus' words from the Father have been received and they've taken root and they're growing and they've withstood the heat of the day and then they start to get crowded out. Jesus says they're literally choked out. The breath of God is unable to bring life. What does this? Jesus says, firstly, the worries of life. It's anxiety. It's probably too much of a familiar voice for many of us, especially now. But it's the voice that says, what if? What about? Will it? Won't it? Could it? Should it? We can't hear the voice of God or we don't rely on the voice of God's. Um, and what he says is truth when we listen to those um, questions. Secondly, Jesus says, 
Um, also the lure of wealth. It's not wealth itself, but when you start listening to the promise that wealth makes to be honest, we probably all suffer from this. Um, the lure of wealth means that we're not so dependent on God. One of those constantly asks, will it be OK? And the other one says, I can make it OK. Both crowd out our reliance on God and both tell us not to trust in him and what he says. It chokes us. And lastly, phew, the good soil. Um, those who hear and understand and produce a harvest, those who multiply, those who are fruitful. Um, we see this again throughout the New Testament. It's a recurring theme in Colossians. The good news is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives. Um, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Um, in John 15, famously, Jesus says, when you produce much fruit, or my true disciples, and I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruits. And in Galatians, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. This isn't just about being responsible with what we have or not just doing well with what we've got. It got it's about 30, 60 even a hundred times what was planted. So Jesus tells this story and this parable, and he even helps us out by explaining it. But here's the bit that I really want to get to. He really labours the parable part. When Mark recounts the same story, um, he says that Jesus says, if you can't understand this one, this parable of the sower, how will you understand all the others? There's something really important that he wants to draw our attention to. And Jesus spends as many verses on whether or not we get the meaning as he spends on the parable himself. Anyone with ears uh, to hear should listen and understand. He says, this is why I use parables for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you won't understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. And they've closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see. And their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. I've always kind of skipped this bit, not me, right? I've accepted the message of the good news. The passage that Jesus quotes from here is the beautiful passage um, of Isaiah's commissioning. And it starts with this, and I paraphrase slightly, but in the dreadful nightmare year when I was mourning loss, I saw the Lord. And we see or we read this beautiful account of Isaiah in mourning and desperation, seeing God and encountering him. And then he's overcome with both adoration and awe, but also realising his own insufficiency. And then the angels ministering God's cleansing and then Isaiah responding to God's question, who will go? Who can I send to the people? The same question that he is continually still asking to us. And the message he gives to Isaiah are these words that Jesus now uses to his listeners in the middle of this parable about the sower and the soil. You're hearing it. 
but you're not getting it. You're watching it, but you're not seeing it. You've seen me and heard me, but you don't get it. You don't understand. You don't comprehend. You haven't turned to me and let me heal you. That word for understand, and I'm sure you've probably heard this taught on before, but it's not the same as we understand, understand to be. I mean, there's a few root words that will help you grasp the bigger meaning. Firstly, you didn't discern, you didn't distinguish, you didn't distinguish in your innermost man, in your heart, in the core of your being. You haven't worked out what's what. Another way of putting it in the Greek word for discern is to attend to. You didn't attend to the receiving of the message of the kingdom in your hidden places or on your patch. The much needed discernment here, which I'm convinced is one of the most needed gifts and practices that we'll hear increasingly more of. But it's not discerning what's going on in the world and it's not discerning the motives of others, but it's the looking inward and discerning the state of our inner man, the condition of our hearts. Secondly, um, understand or perceive, and actually Jesus uses the word perceive as well, but it's not just like to see, perceive, it's with all of the senses, to see, to hear, to smell, to taste, to feel, understanding is tangible it looks like something feels like something tastes like something it kind of reminds me of ripe fruits Heidi Baker um, says love looks like something there has to be an outworking which leads us to number three so um, understanding is sometimes translated as put it together but it's actually more like together put it or together send it so the togetherness is what you're discerning and you're distinguishing the seeing the hearing the tasting the smelling this together gathering of um experience but then you have to send it somewhere you have to put it to use you have to give it expression some translations say synthesize the less poetic and slightly simpler way of saying it is this to obey, to hear and to do. But understanding as we know it is literally half the deal. It's a cut off stump. I came across a story this week of Wigglesworth, who some of you um, will probably know about. But he came to know of a man um, called Lazarus, who was the leader of a Welsh church. He was a miner by day, a preacher by night. um, And he was uh, he contracted TB. So he was laid up an invalid, unable to do anything um, for himself, needing all care. And it's no coincidence um, that his name was Lazarus. So we obviously famously know the story of Lazarus in the Bible that Jesus raised from the dead. And the sentence Wigglesworth hears is, I want you to raise up Lazarus. It's fruitfulness. It's the seed, the seed of God's word. So Wigglesworth obediently goes to the village and he goes to um, see the man. And he's greeted by villagers um, and the man himself who... um, basically greet him with really that's why you're here they have lost their faith um they are disappointed from um having prayed and not yet seen um a breakthrough or the answer come but wigglesworth fasts and prays and he uh, gathers um some he finds seven people to go and pray with him and they go to the man the next morning and he describes when he walks in the room the presence of god or the presence of god 
falls and then it lifts, but the man's not healed. And then it falls again, but then it lifts and the man's not healed. And he describes how this happens five more times. And yet still they wait, just saying the name of Jesus. And on the sixth time, um, the man starts to respond and Wigglesworth spots his um, tears in his eyes and the man's lips starting to move. And he asks the man, will you turn to God? Do you remember what um, God said to Isaiah, um, his message to the people, if you would turn to me, I'd heal you. The bed shakes, the man shakes and he is healed. Um, And this is what Wigglesworth says. It is a blessed thing to learn that God's words can never fail. Never listen to human plans. God can work mightily when you persist in believing him in spite of discouragement from the human standpoint. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved only by what I believe. I know this. No man looks at the circumstance if if he believes. No man relies on his feelings if he believes. The man who believes God has his request. His words are the same as Jesus's. I've appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask. And funnily enough, again, it's the same in Isaiah. Um, It's the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. Wigglesworth had seen and perceived, he'd heard and he'd understood. He not only knows uh, what the message of the kingdom looks like, but he understands. He brings together his knowing and his doing. He refuses to live from any other reality. Have you heard the message of the kingdom and received it? Have you perceived it? Have you seen it and tasted it and experienced it? It's time for us to discern, to look inward and to attend to the words that God has spoken to us. The words that God has spoken are the ones that we read in the Bible, the word of God. And the word is Jesus himself and the words that he spoke and the life that he lived um, and the way that he made. And it's also the words he speaks to us today, the prophetic words that you may have received that speak of hope and life. These are the old and the new gems of truth. How do we do that? Here are a few practical steps that I'd like to encourage you to take. Number one, the fruitfulness is a clue. It's a sign. But where in your life are you not seeing and enjoying fruit? Where is there not as much love and joy and peace or healing? Do this with the Holy Spirit who will prompt you, with Jesus who is gentle and kind and Father whose love is never ending and never fails. Where have you heard the word, but not let it be ploughed in? Where have you perceived, you've felt and you've tasted and seen, but you've not drawn from his resources and so seen it sustained? Where have you tried to make it happen yourself where you've opted for what you can rely on over and above fully believing what God has said? Or you've let the circumstance or others or your own voice of anxiety talk you out of fully understanding or fully obeying. 
the midwives who saved Moses back in the day, um, it was said their fear of God was greater than their fear of man. And we need to um, fear God more than we fear what man will think or say. God's word always produces fruit. Number two, listen to his words so that you can fully understand Perhaps read the rest of Matthew chapter 13 and what the kingdom of heaven is like. Sit with the bits that you want to skip over. Get out the words that he's spoken to you and listen, dream them, imagine them. Let them become truth to you. That's what we're doing with Hope School. We've not yet seen the breakthrough that we want, but uh, God's word was that there would be a breakthrough for the school, a parting of the Red Sea. And that is the truth that we are um, still awaiting and expectant for. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. When you've listened Um, When you've let his words and the word take root, when you've attended to the patches of your heart um, um, where you've not fully accepted, what will your response be? This isn't about lamenting over the brambly parts or feeling ashamed about the stony parts. God's got that covered already. But like Isaiah, turn to him in those very parts. Say yes to him in those very areas. This is repenting. It's rethinking the areas where there is not fruit. It's returning, turning to him. The message that God sent Isaiah with is the message of Jesus sent from the Father to will you turn to me? I will heal you. I'll make you whole. I have life for you. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. Pay attention and come closer to me and hear me that your total being may flourish. That's basically turn to me and I'll heal you. Understand, hear and do, see and act. What does your yes look like? Your yes to him is sheer nonsense or foolishness to others who are also not saying yes. But your yes to him releases the mighty power of God within you. Everything Jesus has is yours. More than you could ask or imagine. He wants you to be fruitful.